I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji Narsen for stage 16 of the Tour de France. Probably the worst, best stage of the tour so far. One of the worst stages I've watched this year for some of the things that went on. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Can't wait to recap it. Got some really meme-worthy moments in this one. Some teams classification, maybe drama. Uh, but yeah, the parkour, medium mountain, Benji and I, is always going to be a break because the last major climb crest with like 40 kilometers, 43 kilometers to go, 33 k to go. There's three major climbs, Col de Port, 11.5K is 5.5%, Col de la Cour, 13K, 6.5%, smack bang in the middle. So there's five points available, 10 points available, then five points available on Col de Porte d'Aspère, 5.5K, 6.7%. That On that cat too, that crested, then, yeah, with a technical wet descent and false flat descent running to the Côte d'Aspère Sarat, which is like a 1K, 6.5% punch before a little uphill drag to the finish that was one for the climby sprinty boys or some uh, quicker punchers like Cosner Foire. But the start, it was really cold in Andorra today and especially up at uh, Pas de la Casse where they started the stage. They neutralised like 15 k's of it because it was, it was like four or five degrees and then they, I don't know where they kicked it off um, to be honest. But because it was a descent start, Benji, we once again saw Strong Ruler getting in the break right off the bat. Yes, certainly. Kasper Asgren, the Danish boy, in the breakaway, he started hammering it like crazy while the others were trying to like counterattack. But once Asgren goes, you know that he's got that engine and he's going to keep that up for a while. And he keeps on bringing that gap out. 30 seconds, 55 seconds, to a minute 30 at a certain point, obviously with people trying to attack towards that. And I think the, well, there were a lot of attacks trying to bridge up. We saw Van Art trying stuff and so forth, but the major move was... Hashtag free Quiato happening. And I was so happy to see that because I feel like I want to see Quiato able to ride for a stage at a certain point in his career at this it. point. And we asked for it yesterday. We prayed to the cycling gods. You mentioned it as a possibility, as a consequence of, well, first of all, Ineos not really having the yellow jersey among their shoulders and not being close to it. So they want to try and get extra out of this Twitter France, most likely. And that's exactly what you can do with a Kwiatkowski in the breakaway here. So he was trying to like keep it in going and trying to hammer it towards Osgren. But the Koenig, perfect play, to be honest. They yeah. had Cataneo yeah. on his wheel and not Pace, of course, because they want to let Quiato do all the work towards Osgren with Cataneo on the wheel. And they literally bridged up towards them. In the back, we also had other attacks following. And in the end, the problem is that this is starting to go on to the uh, first climb, the Col de Paul. And you'll see that in the peloton, there's so much action. But Bike Exchange is interested because they don't want too many riders up the road. So what they do is they first try and control a few things with Juliensen and so forth. They try and attack with both Juliensen and Matthews trying to get them ahead. And then they... In the descent, close down towards those three riders at the front. And that's where the fun happens, right? 
Well, yeah. So I thought, okay, we've got an intermediate sprint after a decent climb, 12K is 5%. Perfect for Matthews to take some points or maximum points on Jasper Philipson. So let's, okay, Matthews, he's not winning green if Cav does an OTL, get disqualified or crash out. But you've got to be in second in case that does happen in the next three, four days somehow. So you still want to take those intermediate sprint points, and that's what he has been doing. He's only, before today, he was like 30 points ahead of Jasper Philipson. Say you miss a couple of bunch sprints on 19 and 21, you could lose that advantage to Philipson if he does well first and second. So it makes sense. Matthews wants to get max sprint points. What doesn't make sense is, and this is Benji, we said yesterday, remember we posed the question at the end of the podcast on the rest day recap, isn't this the day where if there was any day Bike Exchange and Bahrain would control things for this finish for their climbing sprinty boys, Matthews and Coldbrelli? And we're like, yeah, maybe they will. Well, that's what I thought Yul Jensen was doing, keeping Azkren close, very dangerous rider. But then he blows past them. And it's just Yul Jensen in front. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, um, shouldn't Michael Matthews be with you in your group? It was kind of like when Durbridge was in the Montmont 2 breakaway, I was like, but there's no Esteban with you. So what's the point of this? Um, So, yeah, he blows past with then Doobie and Bacalan. So we've had... I think Wild Van Aert, Benji was watching closely. Wild Van Aert had tried a couple of times to get in the break. And I think UAE were neutralizing him and some Polkadot guys. So we then had, yeah, that trio of Bacalans, um, Julianson and Duby on Total Energy. Similar to what we've seen in other stages where we've had after a big fight and a smaller, not so strong break. And then behind is chasing is Aramburu, Colbrelli, Matthews, David Godou. Uh, Benoit Cosnefroy, Fred Wright on Bahrain, a couple of other riders. Benji will fill me in later. But the point is, <laughs> the intermediate sprint, why isn't Yul Jensen, why is he taking points away from Michael Matthews? And then why is that, are they having Michael Matthews pulling in G2 instead of sitting up, chasing a break with his own teammate ahead? Like It makes sense maybe to have Yul Jensen ahead if you worry about him dropping, but he was pulling as well. It just was. It made no sense. It seemed like Matthews and Yul Jensen weren't on the same page. Uh, but Bahrain, it was all looking good. Getting right and called Bradley into a break together. That's why they didn't bring Padun. Apparently, it was so that Fred Wright can, uh, you know, bring called Bradley forth to victories. Uh, so that was the plan for them today. And then once you saw UA in the bunch, Benji on the front, you knew that was curtains for the uh, the GC group, right? Yeah, certainly they weren't going to start pacing like crazy at this stage. They know that nobody in the breakaway is dangerous for GC. And in all honesty, there's no real incentive for anybody in the peloton to start caring now unless they see an opportunity in some riders of UAE dropping somewhere. And we saw some stuff on the first climb, some opportunities, because UAE lost half their team on the first climb. And it's the same thing again. They start the climb at the back instead of at the front end. Then you know you're going to drop if you're Mikkel Bjerg and so forth. So stuff like that happens and nobody used that opportunity. And in all honesty, I wasn't expecting it on this stage, knowing that we've got two big mountain stages coming up and they're going to be afraid of what's coming, which I somewhat understand, to be honest. But let's go towards the uh, next piece of breakaway tactics. We have, of course, still the move, Juliensen and Duby and that other guy in the breakaway. Bacalans. Was it again? Bacalans? Yes, hey, he's sorry. your He's like your chief pundit in, in waiting. He's going to be calling the Tour de France in five years on okay. sports. Stuff. Okay. So um, <laughs> in the second group, we've got legendary demon descender Alex Aramburu. We've got <laughs> matches of scores, Colbrelli, riders like that, Patrick Conrad. 
and uh, Godu. Why just from that aspect? And Perichon's there as well. Rota, Bonamour, Squins, and I think those are the names that I'm looking for. And from that point onwards, we start the climb. And we see that Barcelona's at the front is still pacing. And we see that at the back, we also see a one-two rider pacing. I was like... Oh, oh was he? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were <laughs> trying to go towards each other. And I was like, that's something that I find odd, personally. And as a consequence, you obviously have your Jensen dropping in the front group. You've yep. got trouble for the sprinters, per se, on the climb itself when you see a Godou going a bit faster and such. But there was one ride that was like, nah, I'm not going to do this again. I won't stay in the second group again just to end too short at the end of the stage. I'm going to make my move early on this Corlacor. And my name is Conrad, Patrick Conrad. It was such a good move. Uh, at the time, I was like, what is he doing? 76 Ks from the finish with two riders with teammates there called Brelli and Michael Matthews. And I think yeah, there's a lot of descending, though. There wasn't actually that much flat except for the last oh, 25 kilometers. But yeah, he goes with 76 Ks. David Gudu and Bonamore don't go with him, which... I mean, in hindsight, was a mistake. I think Godu was trying to conserve. We saw later that he did have pretty good legs, actually, for what he could do later. But, yeah, he lets Conrad go. He bridges to Bacalance and Doobie. Yuldiansen drops and is then basically, he goes back to the Matthews group eventually and is not much use. And Doobie's pacing with Conrad. So I was like, oh, I thought those guys wouldn't, a few things I thought wouldn't happen for Conrad that did go his way, which was Bacalance and Doobie pacing for him. I was surprised by that, uh, that they worked with him. Maybe they were like, well, this guy, if we work with him, you know, then we can still get second and third on stage. That is a good result for those guys. Uh, but, yeah, Cosner for our dropping Benji on Col de la Cour, he is a weird rider, Benoit Cosner for isn't he? Like his one kilometre 6%, 7% punch is outrageously good when he's on. Brabantse Paoli was good. He's come top three in flesh. It's either it's one of two things, Benji. He's either like physiologically just his power curve is so short power or he's lacking aerobic fitness because for whatever reason he's is lacking aerobic fitness. I don't know which it is, but can you think of a, another rider recently, maybe I'm showing my, my lack of cycling history, who was like flesh dominant but on like a 15-minute a climb would get dropped by sprinters? It's intriguing and the only rider I can think of immediately is like a Gasparato who was good at those shorter climbs, but when it comes to longer climbing, he was not there. And that's a name I can think of. But then again, I only vaguely remember the first half of his career. So it might be that he was good at that at the first part of his career. But it's really um, rare these days that you have a puncher that is not amazing at the longer climbing sections. While in the past, you tend to have that quite a few times. And I think that it's original. I think that it makes his life a lot more difficult because (laughs) there's so many Grand Tour stages and such that now have longer climbing involved. And even those punchy stages have a big climb sometimes somewhere in the stage that might drop a Cosnefroy. We said it last year where we expected him to climb better with his Polkada jersey. And every time on the longer climbs, he just was not there. It's an intriguing concept. I do enjoy his riding, but I also feel like he attacks or attacks sometimes too early as well in stages wasn't applicable today because he didn't really attack at any point today so 
I think that when it comes to Cosnefua, we're going to see him more on those shorter climb stages, but I don't think there's any left at the moment. So it's not going to yeah. be for this Tour de France. So the group is kind of hobbling over Col de la Cour. Conrad's developed a, a, a nice 40-second lead on that group onto the descent before the Col de Porte d'Aspair, which is 5K is about 6.7%. The group behind, and I'm thinking it's a reasonable group. They got an incentive to work together. Godu, Matthews, Colbrelli should all be forming an alliance at this point. They've got Yul Jensen and Fred Wright to pace. And then the other guys are sort of pulling Tom Schoen's. He's not a guy who really skips turns. He works hard in breaks too. So I was thinking they should be working well together. Conrad, though, was descending technically very well, taking a lot of risks on these wet descents. I think he made up – I haven't got the statistics, but particularly he lost time to go do then on the next climb on Col de Porte d'Aspect. He then gained back a lot of time on the actual steeper descent section. So his descending was very, very good today relative to the guys behind. But they get to Col de Porte d'Aspect. The gap is now down to 22 seconds because they've had a false flat drag where the group is out working Conrad. And he attacks the two he's with, a Doobie and Bacalance, gets that gap straight out to 55 seconds. Godou's not reacted in the group behind and then... David Gudu attacks trying to, and it was almost at a minute at that point. So, yeah, he maybe left it a little bit late. He's got Cole Brelli on the wheel, Matthews dropping. When you saw Gudu with Cole Brelli, Benji, and Gudu eat, eat that gap down to about 26 seconds with pretty much just downhill to come and false flat, did you think surely the duo can overtake 76K solo Patrick Conrad? Honestly, no. Because we've seen how Godou has worked together with others in the past. You've got a sprinter in Colbrelli. You've got Godou who doesn't have that kick against the Colbrelli for certain. So until you get to the top of the climb, Godou's going to try and drop Colbrelli. After that, Godou should on paper say to Colbrelli, mate, dude, why the hell would I help you out? Because you're the sprinter here. I'm literally throwing you to a victory if I help you out completely. So... I expected some cooperation difficulties there and it actually started earlier than the flag session after the climb because in the descent itself, it seemed like Godou was not descending perfectly, but Colbrelli just was not at all. (laughs) But then again, like we're judging the descent harshly, I think, because there was this one corner where literally every rider I saw took it wrong. So I think that corner was just very shady. But uh, all in all, they get down to the bottom and it's around the minute again. And you think at that point, yeah, the others in the back, you've got a, a demon descender trying to catch back up to the chasers behind Colbrelli and such. You've got that group that will try and probably work together better than Godou and Colbrelli because there's more people with an incentive of still trying to get something out of the stage. Matthews wants to get to Colbrelli to try and beat him in the sprint at the end, stuff like that. And yeah, I didn't see it changing from that point onwards. And it looked like Conrad was steering towards a victory, but then we had a climb. Seven, eight kilometers from the line that actually made things interesting again because we saw that in the second group, we saw the attacks once again happening. A Godou trying again and so forth. Oh, Aramburu gone. directly gone <laughs> again and so forth. And that second group came closer and closer again to 40 seconds, 35 seconds. But then they topped and Colbelli even tried to like hammer it at the top, but Matthews jumped on the wheel. Colbelli looks behind, sees Matthews in the wheel and is like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> so at that point, you know that Conrad is off to victory. And I'm very happy about that because Conrad is the kind of rider that usually ends up in the last few places of the top 10 of GC in Grand Tours because he tends to go for that. And 
Now he was forced out of that with a crash at the start. And I think that's a bit of a, it's harsh to say, but that crash might have been a, a gift in hindsight, knowing that it allowed him to go for stages. And this is what we say a lot about riders that are just about top 10 in Grand Tours. What if they go in breakaways instead of going for uh, that 9 for 10 spot in GC? Then they can achieve, honestly, greatness when it comes to stage victory. So congratulations to Patrick. I'm happy about it. The other Patrick, not you. So, um, yeah, good stuff. His first World Tour win, his first non-Austrian National Championships win. He's 29 really? years old. Yeah. So what? He's won, he's won two. He's like a Kelderman. Yeah. Well, no, he seriously, he was having a career a lot like Kelderman, and today that changed, and he's been going in breaks, and he got unlucky on stage seven where he ran into some hitters or a lot of hitters on that hard stage, and he's been – and then on – what was the other stage? That Mollema won. He was in the break again when Mollema won. Yeah. And – yeah, he, he was trying to then attack, but the gap was already at a minute. So he he flipped the script today, attacked early, trying to stay just in front. Say say Godou was able to bridge to him, then he's got 50-50 in the sprint against Godou, maybe a little bit better, maybe he can attack him again. So it was, yeah, it was really it was good from Conrad today, and it's good to see, as Benji said, you know, Bora Hansgrohe, Kamner last year, Pollitt this year, or Kamner again in Catalonia, Schelling in first week. Conrad now with this stage win. Bora Hansgrohe, I think, have been making a reasonable fist of a bad, yeah. uh, you know, some bad circumstances with Sagan crashing out effectively. Just not, he didn't abandon They're the doing what crash. Astana was supposed to do here. Exactly. Getting in breaks and the right ones every day. I think things that could have changed would have been Fred Wright before the Col de Porte d'Aspair. He should have, there were still rolling turns and there were people not pulling 100%, I don't think. Fred Wright should have gone absolutely full on that section before the Col de Porte d'Espère and dropped himself and closed that gap because they basically he held a bit back, is in the group on the climb, gets dropped. What's the use of that? Uh, Yul Jensen had burned himself too much earlier. He I, he wasn't really pulling too much either. You would have thought if Wright and Yul Jensen had been able to pull on that false flat section, they could have brought back Conrad a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, back. So that, that, here's the uh, stage results. Conrad first, 42 seconds behind Colbrelli, beat Matthews for the, <laughs> the cursed reduced bunch sprint for second and third. Matthews bike throwing out of Pierre-Luc Perrachon for fourth. Bonamore fifth, Arambaru sixth, Skern seventh, Bacalan eighth, Gudu ninth, Lorenzo Rota tenth. I think Skerns would have needed like the group to be together in the last 20Ks and then to attack on the false flat descent section. I hope they all looked at each other. Uh, but yeah, good good win for Conrad and Bora. But back in the GC group, Benji, nothing was happening at all all day except wait, for e- wait, EF yeah. EF randomly pacing. Yeah, I um I had a hard time figuring out why, and I think I figured out why, but I don't agree with it. So EF started pacing on the Code Lacour at what moment when the break had seven minutes advantage? Then you figure out, okay, they've got court for a potential stage win. Nah, seven minutes, that's way too late to go for a stage <laughs> win. If you want to have a stage win, you have to do that at three minutes. Now, what else is left? Putting pressure with this team on Pogacar or Carapaz or Vingega? Sure, but are you going to do that today knowing that Col de Portenso Force is coming? They're doing that five kilometers before the top of the climb, so it can't be to protect Uran in the descent. It has to be to try something. And the only possible conclusion is that they unironically started riding for the team classification. And wait, they're not even first in the team classification. 
They were second on 12 minutes before the stage. They were virtually on 24 minutes when they started pacing. Like, Mate, I don't understand. Why? What, I don't understand what they were doing. <laughs> and it was like, it wasn't, it's different when you see Jumbo Visma move up in the 700, 600 meters before the end of a climb with Wout van Aert. They're yeah. trying to make sure Vingegaard is third wheel on the descent. That's just a safety thing. This was before that. They were pacing quite hard with powerless, like dropping people off the back. It made literally no sense. They stopped their action not that long afterwards. And then the GC group still rolled in 13 minutes and 50 seconds after them. So, yeah, no idea. I mean, maybe if they're going for court, they thought they could eat like two minutes into the gap quickly or something. And, yeah, to be honest, with Matthews and Colbrelli up the road, they needed to get caught in that break ASAP when it was at two, three minutes. But Super weird from EF. No idea what they were doing. Maybe they were just honouring Lockie Morton finishing in Paris. And they earlier. stopped. They yeah. stopped about thirty minutes later, and the gap went up to thirteen minutes. So uh, whatever they were trying, it didn't work, and weird. they're now ages behind in the team classification after the stage as well. So awesome work, EF. Congratulations. Okay, so it doesn't. End, the weirdness doesn't end there. We get to the final climb. Uh, that Cotas Bresarat, the one kilometer six and a half percent pinch Benji mentioned with like eight k's to go to the finish. Everyone's we were about to start recording before the GC group rolled over because they'd been complete inaction. They're 13 minutes behind, and we see Guillaume Martin moving up with Simon Geschke the same day that he had been criticizing MVDP for dishonoring the Tour de France. Um, he's a I guess, honouring the race, attacking on the last climb. Uh, Jumbo Visma have got Kuss and Wafanat and Wingergaard there. Wafanat attacks over the top of them, no one on his wheel. So I didn't really – do you think there was a plan there to catch someone napping Benji? Did Was there ever a split at any point with a yeah. GC contender behind? There, there was a split at the top. So in general, they started attacking a good oh, 500 metres before the top, not even that much, I think. When indeed Guillaume and Gashke moved on the right side of the road, imagine if that space is not there. Then their entire plan that they were waiting for all day to attack on the last hill would not have occurred. And it was only because the peloton moved a bit to the left of the road that it allowed Guillaume to make that move with Gashke. But uh, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that attack. It's something small. Guillaume can try and use this. Who's going to start pacing? Probably people just ahead of him in GC. And that dynamic is quite fun to see here. It spiced up something. And it was after the race was basically ended. But they make that move and it cuts the peloton in pieces because you've got indeed Yumbo responding to it and a good 25 people are there. And who's not there initially? Karapas. Karapas is not there at the start. And then it comes as well and Ben O'Connor. I think those three. And it didn't take long before they attached themselves because they were like, oh shit, I'm not well here. Set up. Let's go. Yeah. Because Jonas and Andor Kuz lost his wheel and so he had to sit up and he looked around and he's like, oh, guys come on and because he got good separation and everyone was no one was expecting it least of all me and then once he but then so it all comes back together we've got every gc contender there and then wafanat's pulling for eight kilometers on this false flight descent full gas and i was thinking someone must be dropped there must be a gc contender off the back there must be dropped and i was looking at carapaz there was who the legendary climber andre greipel Parapantra for him, we're all behind. Yeah, um, I guess. Okay, there were no GC riders behind, and that is just a useless effort here. And yeah, those eight yeah. kilometers are not necessary. Is it the end of the world? No, but it's just a necessary effort. So it's not that big of a deal. But I would, I wouldn't have done it. But then again, 
we don't know how is the communication there. If you're in the, if you're literally Van Aert there, you're probably thinking, oh, what if somebody's behind here? You're going to have to hear that from your ears. Uh, a DS have to say that. And does the DS know that by then? You've got, do they have a screen in their car? Because half of the cars that I see have a screen and half don't. Then that, that's a question. And then you've got a radio tour that probably hasn't figured it out yet either. So I don't know, perhaps it's more uh, working on misinformation than a tactical mistake. Maybe they got Dumoulin in the on the team radio saying, let's repeat Perisud from last year, just pull full well, and then have Jonas get attacked on the finish, which nearly <laughs> happened. Jonas nearly got gapped on the finish because on this uphill drag, like Bagatra and Carapaz way quicker than him. And, yeah, they, they smoked him, but it didn't matter. No bonus seconds, and he managed to not lose any time. Just, yeah, pretty pretty weird finish left me feeling pretty confused at what I just watched for the last five hours. So yeah, no GC gaps apart from Godou moving up the uh, Catania way into 11th because he was in the break from 27 minutes back to 14 minutes back. And uh, yep, another not great stage in the tour. I've got to be said, it's just a, like won't be one I remember for the rest of my life. I guess we've had not many mountaintop finishes or hilltop finishes for like six, seven days now, but we do have one tomorrow. From Muret to Saint-Marie, the Col de Porte. We had like two Col de Portes today. Two climbs beforehand, two Cat 1s. Col de Peresud, 13.5 Ks, 7%. Col de Valouron, 6.8 Ks, 8%. And they do 16.5 kilometers at 8.6%. This is a hard climb to 2,200 meters. It's steep in the uh, in the first half, particularly. We have like 9 Ks, not 9%, 11%, 9%, 10%, 10%. It's steep and it's hard. And... I worry for Rigoberto Uran tomorrow. I think Jumbo Visma will try and get Van Aert in a break again as a satellite rider slash to take KOM points on the first two climbs. And I think UAE will try and resist that. So there could be a fierce battle at the start. And um, and then I think a weak break will go again and the break might win, Benji. Because do you really see Ineos smashing up the first two Cat 1s? I hope that Pogacar decides to... Uh piss on the road to uh, Marcus territory and <laughs> assert dominance on the peloton by having his entire team pacing before the first of the climbs, then setting a climbing record on the pedestal like last year, <laughs> <laughs> and then winning by 10 minutes on Col de Porte. <laughs> nah, in all seriousness, the initial part is flat. It's 100 kilometers of flatness. That is enough to have a breakaway form and the peloton sit up to have their their natural break at the start of the stage. Yeah, 10 minutes. It's it's hard. Like, in the Tour de France, we've had a lot of moments where the breakaway had to form over 100 kilometers, but it's kind of hard to believe that it's going to happen on this stage, that it will take that long. They won't have to wait until that climb, I think. I think that something will occur beforehand. You'll have a breakaway beforehand because it feels a bit too long towards the first climb to have such a long battle. That's what I think, at least. Now, I do hope that Pogaccia wins the stage, but I don't know how he can win the stage if, if his team does not control it among the route. So if you have them keeping it on full five minutes, then you know you're going to see a Pogi triumph or at least the GC riders triumph at the end of the stage. I think uh, I think we both picked Pogaccia for the stage in our preview before the Tour de France. So do you still think that that will happen or do you see a breakaway win this as well? I, I like Lopez. Please, Movistar. Lopez in the break with Irvati helping him in the flat. He first tried today. Case. He tried. I don't know why, but right, tomorrow, please, tomorrow, 
get get him in the break with Verona yeah. or someone to to protect and shield him before the climbs start. And even Verona and, and Viti on the flat, yeah. Well, they can do the climbs with him. Petersoud, they're, they're good climbers. So please, um, but other than him in the break. I think Uran's losing. I went back and looked at Uran's results. He's not been good on the mountaintop finishes this year or last year, and I think he's been. This parkour might have been protecting him a little bit, and I think, I think Ineos should really give up on on going for first Benji. And like you said in the rest day pod, do you reckon just pace Calder Portet hard at the start and try and have Carapaz gap Uran and or Vingegaard, and then. He's got to continue the action with Pagatra on the wheel. Surely that's what he's got to do tomorrow, if he can. Uh, technically, um, I'd say yes, but let's be real. I think we're cycling fans and we still want to see somebody try and mess up Pogacar's plan of just strolling into Paris like this. So we're all hoping that something crazy happens somewhere, that people try crazy attack, but I think it's kind of unlikely. And if I'm Carapaz indeed, then... I'm likely going to start thinking more about the second spot because right now he's going to need one minute, one minute 30 on Vingegaard to be able to end second. And depending on Iran's form as well, like you mentioned, he'll need time on Iran as well. So yeah, he's going to need to take time the next two mountain stages. And if he does it by attacking Pogacar, he might have the same issue that he had before. If he goes early at the start of Corporte somewhere, he has 10 kilometers or something, and then five kilometers he keeps on riding ahead of the group. And then in the last few kilometers, he gets caught again. Sure. Like the last two times he attacked like that. So it's difficult, I think, in Carapaz's place. But I do think that he should start thinking about the podium. And I think everybody except for Bogatra needs to do that. And the others need to hope that their moves for the podium accidentally put Bogatra into trouble. That would be the only way that I'd think about Bogatra again. But exactly. I would not specifically hunt for Bogatra because... I don't see it happening. And then you've got, I think, Yumbo, who on paper, they are the only team that I see that could put pressure on Pogacar just with Vingago. But I think that he's young. He's in his third week of his first Tour de France, his first Grand Tour for GC. And at that point, you're probably also like, okay, perhaps we should not have him go ham here with another mountain stage the day after, and we should try and keep it relatively safe and use the last few kilometers for attacks like he did on Vaughn 2, like he did on uh, the other stage before the rest day. So I think that we might not see Vingega open early and therefore most likely later. And that's where the questions come in. Von Arch said he tried to go in the breakaway today, perhaps for those KOM points that you mentioned yesterday. Didn't really work out. He was in one of the moves. And then the second one with Aramburi, he was not in. So, yeah, when it comes to tomorrow, do you think that Fanad will be in the breakaway, knowing that the final climb has 40 points? Um, I don't know what his plans are, really. I mean, if he, if Woods... He probably should go in there just so that he's can be a bit fresher. Maybe yeah. if Jonas attacks on a descent, you don't know. Just pick up a mechanical or something. Because... Wingergold's problems that are descending because he's so light before the Porte. I think if the Umber Visma to really do something, lose the other den stage is a lot better for Wout van Aert and Koos to make a difference on that final climb, like 13.5K, 7.5%, up to like 1,720 metres. I think Koos and van Aert can shred that if Wingergold feels good and uh, put some time into into Rigoberto Uran and really go for second. And if Pagacha feels terrible, so be it, as Benji said. just That's just a... 
a fortunate byproduct of that. But tomorrow, we'll wait with beta breath to see if there's big GC action. I think there'll more be people losing touch with group the GC group than one guy going clear. And if it is one guy, surely it's uh, Tadej Pogacar, maybe Vingegaard. If I'm if I'm Pogacar and Vingegaard attacks in the last 1,500 metres of the climb and he's really going over your limit, just just leave it, I think, and just come in, give him 20, 25 seconds or 30 seconds like on a, on Von 2. It's no harm, five-minute gap, whatever. Um, yeah, so the, thing about, well. the thing about Pogacar is that today it felt like he was either bored or was cold because bored. at the start of the stage he closed down a gap towards Lopez, who's <laughs> was an hour bored. behind in GC. He was literally <laughs> bored in that group probably. And then at the end, he ended up sprinting against Garapas for no reason at all. So I feel like he knows he has the energy. He trusts himself and has the confidence. And like, wouldn't it be pretty awesome if he tries to like show his dominance by attacking unexpectedly and using offense as his defense once again, like he did on Cold Roman and so forth? I don't. I I think it's completely unnecessary and. Probably isn't the best idea if you've got five minutes in GC, but it would give a hell of a show. He's got to beat Nibley's record of seven and a half minutes to second. So maybe he's yeah. thinking about that. We'll wait to see tomorrow. We've had a, a, a solid week without much GC action. So we'll wait your for pick? that. Uh, Lopez. Okay, my pick is still Pogacar. I don't know how, but Pogacar. Yeah, I'm probably missing some. I didn't really think about it. But yeah, Lopez, surely with Movistar or Esteban Chavez. Uh, I like the two Colombians for this stage. But until tomorrow, thanks for the call for supporting the podcast. We'll see you with the recap of Stage 17, our first mountaintop finish since Stage 9. Ciao. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.